podcast listeners. Brittany Stevens, Marie Lee Amazon here. We have the pleasure of interviewing Brian Pavick today from SmartZip, one of the companies we work with on our direct mail platform. Um, so Brian, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We are very excited to have you. Um, we love bringing in people uh, to the podcast to talk about things that the property management industry is really interested in. Right now, direct mail is is huge. A lot of people are talking about the the rise and it coming back now that the the noise has kind of quieted a little bit. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, first, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Give us a brief overview of who SmartZip is and, and what you guys do overall. Sure. Happy to. So uh, I'm the solutions manager over at SmartZip. Um, and basically what that means is I coordinate with a lot of our Um, clients, third-party distributors, um, all all those types of things to make sure that they're able to align with our platform and we're able to deliver value seamlessly. Um, So what SmartZip is, is we're a data and analytics company. Um, We actually entered the real estate sphere about a decade ago. And we're not only one of the largest data aggregators in the real estate sphere, but we also create our own proprietary analytics. So what that all really means is um, a lot of our focus historically has been on residential real estate. And our kind of claim to fame is that we created a scoring metric that can predict which homeowners are most likely to sell their home in the next year. And that's something that we've been able to do for real estate agents. But in recent years, we've been able to expand that data out uh, and be able to apply it for property managers as well. Um, and one of the biggest things we're able to do there, um, and I'm sure it's, it's what we're going to discuss today, is how you can leverage data to make that direct mail marketing actually make sense for someone's business from a result standpoint, but also from a cost standpoint, because there definitely are two sides to that equation. Yeah, it is expensive. So I'm, I'm excited to drive into that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so just to start with the basics, can you tell us a bit more about what data-driven marketing is yeah. um, in general? Absolutely. So. Data-driven marketing, uh, to to make it simple, and I'll just kind of use this as an example. Let's say you're looking at a target market area and there's 5,000 homes there. Now, there's kind of two different scenarios there if if, if I'm running a business. On the one hand, you know, I could just market all 5,000 and make sure I have maximum coverage and then I know I'm gonna hit every investor property across the board. Or, you know, maybe I'm doing something more on a budget base and I can afford to send out 500 mailing pieces a month and I've done the math and if I get a standard response rate and, you know, I know what my close rates are and as long as I send out 500 and I stay within my margins, I'm, I'm still going to be able to make money and be profitable. Those are kind of your two different use cases and those are, would be what you call a blind sample. You don't know anything about the homeowners, you just know what you can afford to send out and what's the available audience. And that's traditionally how direct mail marketing has been done. And it's also the biggest reason why it's expensive because it's blind. So let's just real quickly look at how data-driven marketing applies to those two different use cases. So if we look at it from the budget perspective, let's say we have those 5,000 homes. And let's just say hypothetically, 1,800 of them are investor properties. Now, if you're picking 500 blind, you could get 300 of those investor properties. You could get zero of those yeah. investor properties. And there's no way to know. Or is there? And that's where data comes in. Would you rather spend 500 or, you know, let's just say each marketing piece costs a dollar for, for simple math. Would you rather spend $500 blind, not knowing who you're targeting? Or would you rather spend $500 knowing every one of these people at least is an investor? 
So instead of I have 300 out of 500, even opportunities to do business, you now have 500 opportunities for business. Now, you know, we'll talk about, you know, response rates and some of the pros and cons of direct mail probably a little bit later, but if you're just looking at what data does, it changes the equation and it removes that blindness from it. So at least now you know you're talking to the right people. And really the whole value of any marketing is you want to hit the right person with the right message at mm -hmm. the right time. Now, of course, there is that other use case of, well, I'm going to hit all 5,000 homes. Well, if that's how you do your business, the data is actually even more valuable for you. Because when you're just looking at it from a budget, it's all about getting the most bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. But when you're at the scale where you're actually able to market to the entire area, Again, there's only 1,800 investor properties here. You get immediate ROI by using data because there's 3,200 marketing pieces you're not sending out. Now, I can afford to expand to another area and market to another 1,800 people. Yeah. Or putting those dollars back in the coffers and investing them in the company eternally. The great thing is you're able to make that decision yeah. and that's the value of the data when you look at it on a large scale is you're not just targeting the right people, you're making sure you're not targeting the wrong people. Yeah, and it allows for a long-term strategy compared to a lot of people that we work with or friends we have even in the property management mm -hmm. industry have tried direct mail before and they've they've done it one time and then just given up and said it's not worth it because probably of like the blind targeting. But if you have data like that where you can get results more immediately and, and get the ROI so you can reinvest it into future campaigns, that's like, that's really, really cool. Absolutely. And you actually just hit on one of the key points, and this is with any type of direct mail marketing, but especially with data-driven marketing. You are able to sometimes accelerate those timelines. More importantly, you're able to reduce sunk costs, so at least you have a greater opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to spend the money, let's make sure you have the best opportunity there for it. Um, but you know, when we're talking about direct mail marketing, that, that immediacy is definitely something and it's really across you know the industry, whether it's property management, real estate agents, you know, lending officers, anything in between, anybody who's doing marketing, how quickly can I get an ROI? And data helps you from the aspect of not only saving you cost, but helping you target the right people, which you're generally gonna get a higher response rate on. But one of the key things with direct mail, and it's and it's marketing in general, but direct mail has tends to have the highest cost up front. Yeah. So we'll focus on that side of it is you do need to have a consistency over time. Mm -hmm. When you send out you know, just one month, sometimes you get great results, sometimes you get bad results. Neither of those actually tell you how well the data is doing or how well the marketing piece is doing. Because there's, remember we looked at those three pieces, right person, right message, mm -hmm. sometimes it's just not the right time. And there are so many variables in understanding the right time for an individual. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be market to them across a year and pray you make money, but you at least want to hit them a couple months, you know, two, three months in a row at minimum, because, you know, just for a hypothetical, they get your marketing piece, they like it, it makes sense, they put it on the counter, and then the kids put something on top of it, it ends up at the bottom of a pile and they don't see it until two months later. But then your next piece comes in, they go, we forgot about the last one. I'm yeah. calling them now. And it's the second or the third piece. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, we're, we're talking about marketing. We've all heard it's eight touches to be branded with somebody. Now, you know, multi-channel marketing is obviously the best way to go. That's not always the cheapest way. 
Mm-hmm. Again, you know, that's something we, we can discuss, but if we're just focusing on the direct mail piece, there's always going to be an amount of you need some repetition for it to really be a successful campaign. And that's something someone needs to do to make sure it makes sense for their business to make that commitment. But the data makes a huge difference there because you know you're targeting the right people. And more importantly, you know you're not targeting the wrong people. So you're not lighting money on fire. That makes sense. That's something we don't like to avoid. Yes, generally. (laughs) (laughs) I'll light a newspaper on fire, baby. Not money. I like money. (laughs) I think everyone can agree to that. And um, I do want to stress something that you brought up that, you know, doing this is a commitment. You can't just think, hey, I'm going to try direct mail marketing. I'm going to send one and see how it goes. There has to be a bigger strategy because, as Absolutely. you said, yes, people may throw away the first one, maybe put it on the fridge, but you need a follow-up process for Absolutely. it to actually make a difference. And for me personally, being a millennial, um, <laughs> I when we started looking into direct mail, I was really pessimistic, honestly. I'm like, ah, oh, it's direct mail. Nobody... Nobody Nobody pays attention to that anymore. And I want us to talk about that a little bit. But before we go into it, I even proved myself wrong. Like recently, I I decided to sign up, like pre-order Sonic sonic fiber whatever internet and um (laughs) it was because of a postcard mailer i got so they're sending me these things month after month i'm horrible at checking my mail but i have a a stack of (laughs) mail that i finally got and i saw sonic i was like oh this is okay maybe that's that's affordable more affordable and better than what i have right now let me think about it and i got more and more and then finally the other day i was like i'm gonna do it and then i was thinking about that i was like oh me somebody who's kind of skeptical of the direct mail literally just signed up for a service because of the direct mail I was receiving it because I don't pay attention to my email anymore like I mean, my work email for sure my most personal of us email. have a second email we use for spam yeah. for signing up for stuff exactly yeah. oh here you want my email there you go I'm never checking that yeah. <laughs> most people have that nowadays exactly mm-hmm. so can you talk a little bit about um kind of elaborate on on my point almost a little bit more because direct mail seems kind of old school but it is is making a comeback. Could you talk a little bit about why you think that's happening? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the easiest ways, and again, I mentioned it earlier, you want to have multi-channel. You want to have some kind of balance. Now, what that looks like and how it works, not only is it different industry to industry, but company to company, yeah. budget to budget. Um, so I don't want to get too much into the details of trying right. to prescribe that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you do want to have those multi-channels, but part of why direct mail is making such a big comeback, um, I'm sure you guys, especially your, your, we're all millennials here, we have ad blockers on our browsers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, most people do now. And why? Because online ads got so popular and made people a lot of money. And for a lot of people who spend a lot of time online, also got so annoying. Mm-hmm. So then a new industry popped up. People started making money on giving you ways to prevent ads because that's really what drives a lot of business. It's either I gain an advantage and a profit or I gain convenience. But you know, from the direct mail side of things, when you're marketing, what you're really trying to do is you're either trying to give someone a piece of information or you're trying to trigger a desire to learn more. Mm-hmm. So I'm either giving you the information or I'm telling you, hey, you really want to talk to me, you might want to learn more. In either case, the medium is really just about how many different ways can I get that in front of you so I can trigger that reaction for you to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And online ads, they're great. 
Online marketing is good. Calling is good. There's a lot of things that are good, but as we're seeing with direct mail, it's starting to make a comeback partially because companies like ours are learning to automate it. It wasn't that direct mail ever stopped working. Is it became a giant pain to implement. Mm -hmm. I have to make a creative, then I have to get it printed, then I have to get it stamped, then I have to get it mailed, then I have to double check to make sure they actually sent it, yeah. then I have to pray people respond to it. And that last piece, every marketing piece has that. Regardless of medium, you're hoping that people respond. But the first four are a big pain. And if you look at the opportunity cost of all the time and energy that you had to put in as an organization to make sure those go out every month, it became, like we talked about earlier, a sunk cost. But part of why you know, direct mail is making a comeback is because companies like ours are automating the process. Where someone like Four and a Half comes in, who are the experts on the messaging, who makes a great card for you, that presents your business in the right way, and someone like us comes in and says, okay, well, we're gonna help you find the right people. So now the plus of direct mail, which is easier to target to people, it's easier to know something about a home and a homeowner than when you're cooking matching devices and doing things like that. Mm -hmm. But also, you can put more content on a direct mail piece. So you have a better opportunity, using your example of fiber optic cable, 10 time internet speed, $20 a month or whatever it was, and you're yeah. looking at, wow, Xfinity was X dollars, this is less, I get better internet. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and it's easier to put that on a little tiny online ad that can appear anywhere on a page, you might not even see it. Mm -hmm. But what do we all do when we get mail? It's what most people bring up, the downside of direct mail, well, they're just gonna throw it in the trash. Bob, there's a process we go through when we throw it in the trash. Yes. I pick up all my mail, <laughs> and I go, no, 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 no. Ooh, that looks interesting. No, no. Yeah, that makes total sense. And um, I do want to note something that um, in the past, you know, prehistoric times, direct <laughs> mail was such a pain to do because you had to do everything. Yeah. You know, um, figure out a list vendor, and as long as you find a list, you're like, oh, good enough, and then, okay, I need to come up with this card, and I don't really know CMYK, RGB, what, and then, okay, stamp it, <laughs> yeah. and then, right, yeah. what's a bleed, right? Like, what size, and then, okay, just send it out, and then now there are solutions to make it easy, you know? but that doesn't mean that's all there is to it. The reason why, you know, we've freed up that time is so you can spend more time figuring out who you want to target and what Absolutely. message you want to convey and what action you want them to make. And I think a big misconception is, oh, if they see a pretty card, they're going to call me. Or if it's pretty, they're going to like go to my website. But a lot of times it really is the message. Like to, to your point, if they just said we are, you know, Sonic is the best. We are internet. We are internet. I, don't care. I have internet. Upgrade to optic fiber internet. Yeah. I don't care what fiber mean. optic is, but like you said, ten times faster, twenty dollars a month. Like, oh, you're gonna save me. Lots because of money. it made sense. Yeah, it yeah. dialed into things that matter to you. Yeah, yep. because a lot of times when people outside of the time aspect, when they're doing it on their own, they're just taking some copy from their website. They're sending out some a brochure with just information about their services where a lot of people might already have those services, they think they don't need it. But if you emphasize the benefits, that makes How a big difference. How are we better than yeah. we already have? Yeah, I just wanted, I, I really like that you said that because that's something that I don't think a lot of people think about. A lot of people 
think about time, but if they think there is an alternative like using an intern or um, using a VA or something like that to get it out, that solves that problem, but you really do have to think about those pain points. Absolutely. Yeah. And a follow-up to that, it's not just the time, it's the accuracy. Yeah. It's, and, and here's a huge thing that gets, it, I don't think it gets brought up a ton, but it's a, one of the real major costs of direct mail, deliverability. Not every property can be mailed to. Some are on do not mail lists. Some have issues with the postal service where they have problem getting it to the property because of bad paperwork, things like that. What can happen a lot is, oh, well, you paid for 500 mailing pieces to go out. They only delivered 340. So now, even if you had the data, you could find it on your own. Do you have all of the other processes in place to make sure, even if you knew the right people and you had the right message, can you ensure it actually gets to that person when it's supposed to? And I want to I want to talk about that a little bit more. I want to talk, if we can, for just a couple seconds, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about about the lists that you're able to get using your platform because also we we've used other tools in the past. Other providers. Other yeah. other list providers. One of the things that we aren't able to get usually is email address. You guys can if it's available, you mm-hmm. can get email address, you can get phone number. Um, yeah, we can append that information for Yeah. Them. How are you guys able to do that when other companies do other companies just not want to offer it because they don't see that it's valuable? Or what makes it so you can offer that while these other providers aren't being able aren't able to do that? It's a great question. There's a lot of layers to the answer, but maybe the simplest part is because at our core, we're not just a marketing company. We're a data and analytics company. The more things we can do, the more people we can help. And sometimes, as in the case of being able to append things like phone numbers or emails, we're able to provide that value you know, in this piece of the business over here, but it's just as valuable over here, just in a different way. Yeah. And sometimes in the same way, you just might not necessarily expect it. But it turns out being able to contact prospects is actually very valuable. Right. <laughs> Shocker. Amazing. <laughs> and who's going to have the resources to get that easily and consistently more than a company that at the end of the day our focus is on data? Yeah. And then using that data to provide services. When you're just a service company, you're really only focusing on the delivery. But we're focusing on what's behind the delivery and who to deliver to. I think that's the takeaway from that whole like that whole section is just the data behind it Absolutely. is what makes everything worthwhile. It's not really if you're going to move forward with a mailer strategy, make sure that your data is good or else it probably won't appear or even be doing as much for you as it could be. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't gain an advantage if you're not using it in an advantageous way. Back to the example from earlier. If I'm mailing all 5,000 and 3,200 of them do not even have the ability to use my product or service, why would you market to them? But more importantly, how can you find out who those 3,200 are? Yeah, I think um, that's really powerful. Like to our listeners, if you've ever tried or are thinking of doing any direct mail, I think regardless of whether you use four and a half or smart tip, I think the key thing is to really check the source of your data and the completeness of it. I think I think you know data is a buzzword nowadays, oh, yeah. but people fail to realize that, you know, not all data is good data, right? Like mm-hmm. for example, when you're thinking of a marketing campaign that is holistic, 
there are key things of information that you do need, like for example, the email and the phone. It's like you if you just like start sending postcards out there and you don't really have a follow up process, like sure, you know, have them go to a landing page, but then they fill out the form, but then they never hear from the company. How likely are they to sign up with you, right? They're like, okay, well, they're not really following up with me, so let me go on to the next one. Um, I think having all those pieces um, really helps. As you said, it's a commitment, Absolutely. and it should be a larger strategy than let me try this because my competitor is trying it out. Yeah, yeah, and, and you actually you, you really just nailed the whole crux of having success with any type of marketing, but again, focusing on just direct mail, it is having that plan and that follow-up in place. You know, one of the things that gets talked about with direct mail all the time, other than the cost and the process, it's the response rate. And it's volatile. You know, national averages being what they are, sometimes you're seeing you know, a fraction of a percent. And then all the times you'll send it out a campaign and you'll get 7% response rate. You're saying, that was amazing. And you get that with people who do one-offs. And they go, sometimes they, oh my God, that was amazing. I'm gonna use that vendor again. And then it gets a lower response rate. They go, what happened to the vendor? It's the vendor's fault. No, this is the volatility of any marketing type. You think online ads, you're sending out 100,000 impressions. You got seven leads. It's the same equation. And obviously I'm just pulling numbers here. But that follow-up strategy, like we talked about before, it takes multiple touches. Now, some people, first touch, that looks great. You saved me 50 bucks on my internet, sold. But some people, I forgot, I put it on the counter, I got busy, wasn't really sold on it. Even if you're thinking of it from you know the homeowner's perspective, I have a property management company. They got your marketing piece. I'm fine with mine. I don't need to look at that. Then their company messes up the next month. Mm -hmm. yeah. They get your marketing piece again. All of a sudden, they're in a very different frame of mind of, oh, wow, these guys do this, this, and this. Well, I'm mad at my company for two and three. Yeah. I'm going to give you a call and see if you can take better care of me because these guys are messing up. That's where that timing aspect comes in. But number one, the consistency, but also that follow-up plan of, okay, you're marketing to them. Well, if they respond, how are you going to have a conversation? How are you going to secure their business? Because here's the other part of marketing, and this is the biggest reason why the plan matters. I can point you in the right direction. I can identify the perfect 1,800 people for you. I can deliver all of your marketing. I can put everything in front of you. I can create the maximum possible opportunity. You don't make a cent until you convert those into business. And if you don't have a plan, do you really want to rely on luck to convert? Because the difference between luck and a plan is who's going to dominate yeah. and who's just going to exist. And the point of using data is to help you dominate your market and grow your business and really be successful because that's what we're trying to do. Data creates opportunity, real opportunity. But your plan is how you turn opportunity into money. That's where you want to get. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is what you want, right? You can have a lot of phone calls, but if your staff members don't really know how to convert those phone calls into actual management contracts, you're not really getting ROI for anything. Your, your staff is. They're collecting paychecks. Yes. For well, all they care. But, but they're your like, <laughs> Yeah. That, and um, so I think... Um, 
One question that might be in our listeners' minds is, what does success look like in direct mail? Because as you mentioned, it's very volatile, and sometimes it could be astronomically, you know, wonderful, like seven percent, yes. But then next month, you're like, why is it like point zero four five? You know, but、um, just for the benefit of people listening who may already may have tried it in the past, they weren't sure if it was good, below average, above average. Like, just give us an, an idea of、um, how can you know if it's working, if you're successful, if you're doing something wrong. Like any sort of methodology our listeners could follow. Absolutely. So、um, it's a great question. There's a few layers to it. So let's kind of start at the top. You know, again, coming back to that, you know, five thousand versus five hundred example, I kind of said in the beginning. Part of defining what success is is looking at what are you trying to do and where are you as a business. If you're at a place where we're really looking at fitting this within a budget, I can afford to fi- send five hundred. Number one, success is making sure that you're actually marketing the right five hundred. If if I reduce your sunk cost. And now, instead of marketing to you know anywhere from zero to three hundred people who are actual potential clients on any given marketing, if every time it's five hundred, you've already had success because now you have better opportunity. Now, obviously, there's a plan in place for how do you convert that? Having that plan, and some of that comes into not necessarily having to change what you're already doing, but just knowing this is what I do. If a lead comes in, I do this. For additional prospecting, I do this. If you do additional prospecting, obviously I recommend that. But in this scenario, we're looking at someone who has budget constraints, which we all do. But there's different levels to that, and so you don't have to go all in, but you do have to have a plan for whatever you're doing. Now we can look at the other side of the equation where. I'm a larger organization. I have the finances to blast 5,000 people. Now we've already covered the data makes you a lot smarter. Just because you can market to 5,000 people doesn't mean you should. Uh huh. Like I will happily send 5,000 pieces of mail for you instead of 1,800. As the vendor, I love this. As the client, I strongly recommend you make sure they're the right 5,000 because that's where you're going to gain the most benefit. Again, the plan matters, but in this case, you know, we're looking at well, what is success? Well, number one, and again, we're just kind of talking from a high level here. Is the mail actually being delivered? Am I actually targeting the right people? Is it actually creating an opportunity for me? Those are all things that are on our side as the vendor. We are a successful user—not、uh, a user, but a successful vendor for you—if we deliver on those three things. If my data is accurate, I deliver what I'm supposed to, and it goes on time. I've done my job. But then there's other layers: working with four and a half, making sure you have the right messaging, you have the right plan, you have the right tools, all of the things they provide, and that you're taking proper advantage of that opportunity. And when you take those two pieces together, if you have a plan. You're hitting the right people, and you're hitting them consistently. You're gonna convert. And if you're established enough to be, you know, taking these opportunities, whether it's on the smaller 500 scale, again, just using you know rough numbers here, or you know you're ready to really attack an entire community, it doesn't really matter. What success is is really two things. Do you have a plan to actually convert? But also. Are you actually getting what you should be getting from your vendor? 
let's just, you know, hypothetical. Let's say you could have got 100 of them, but you only got 35 because you didn't have a follow-up plan. And a few people reached out and you forgot to follow up with them. And a few other people, you know, if you'd have just given them a call or an email or, you know, had a good landing page set up or any of those things, you would have been able to get that first conversation to get their business. Mm -hmm. So you could have had 100. You only got 35. What about those 65 people you missed? Why'd you miss them? And, you know, no one ever gets 100% of the opportunity every time, but you should have the opportunity to get 100% of the available people. Um, again, kind of a long-form answer, but that's really what we're looking at from, you know, obviously from our perspective as the vendor for success, but for you as the client as well. That's really how you need to be looking at it for, for your business. Am I creating the right opportunities? And am I also approaching things correctly to be able to take advantage of those opportunities? What if you feel like you're doing everything right? What if, and let's say you are. What if you're doing everything right, you have all the tools in place, but you're just not getting very many bites? When do you decide that it might not be the right marketing tool for you? Great question. So some of it does, does just come down to economics. Um, you know. There is a, a sense, especially with marketing, of any approach used over a long enough period of time will produce results. Um, but there's a cost associated with that. Exactly. How long can you sustain that expenditure without results before you need to pare it back? Now, part of that comes into the planning of that initial setup. You want to have a term long enough to give you a good chance at results, but that fits within your budget of if it doesn't work. And it should, especially if you have a good plan. But it's not 100% certainty, and we'd be misleading you and lying if we told you it was. Well, yeah, you can never guarantee anything 100%. Exactly. Uh, so having that plan should include making sure, hey, this is a safe investment for us. Mm -hmm. Because it is an investment. You are investing in the marketing plan to try to grow your business. It needs to be something that you can do safely. And that's when you're looking at the scale how deep are you going in for how long? What makes sense for my business? But, you know, to the other part of the question, when is the right time to pull out? There is an economic portion, but there can also be, and you can look at response rates, you can look at delivery rate, right? We were actually able to provide how many people are being delivered in the area, what's the available counts, all of that type of information. Sometimes, even with the right data, it's just not the right channel. You know, it is right person, right message, right time. Sometimes for some people in some communities, right message just never is a postcard. Sometimes it's a letter. We can do letters. Sometimes it's not direct mail at all. They want online ads. They want calls. They want other things. Have you seen any trends across the U.S. that would indicate certain markets that are better for direct mail than others? That's actually, it's probably my favorite question, but it's also the most annoying question to answer, and here's why. <laughs> the answer is both yes and no. We think we see a trend and we go, okay, this area seems to respond to this, and then within three months, everything breaks. Yeah. All of a sudden, they start responding, and it, a lot of it comes down to, you know, you're looking at those three pillars of marketing. That timing piece is so volatile, and even that right message piece can be volatile. Just the example I used earlier. I already have a property management company. I don't need a new one. Then my current company irritates me. All of a sudden, I'm willing to listen. Yeah. And as awesome as we are with data and as cool as predictive analytics are, 
There's just some variables you can't get your you hands can't on. Predict. Even like when you go to creepy Facebook levels, you still <laughs> can't get your hands yeah. on that data because we're not psychic. Right. And you can make assumptions. Like, for example, in the property management industry, you can say, all right, a self-managing landlord might try to rent out their home between May and September. If they aren't able to rent it out by October, they might consider buying a property manager. So maybe you send out a mailer at the end of September, beginning of October, saying something like, still haven't found a tenant for your rental property. And the same goes during other parts of the year when people don't churn their rental properties mm-hmm. as as much as they would during the summertime. Or, or seasonal markets. On the, yeah, or, or, or exactly. things like that. Absolutely. There, there's always variables that can impact response rates. And, and those are things that can be considered, especially from a messaging perspective. Um, but the data really can't drive in the, as yeah, the, far the, as the that. The data, it can, but it's why I'm cautioning against it of it's not consistent. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's almost like a, having a false positive on a test. Oh, it's working. I, I'm totally, this is telling me exactly what's going to happen as far as right. response rate. And then everything turns right. Yeah. Everything turns left. And it's why at the very beginning I said, multi-channel marketing is the best decision you can make because even if you have the right messaging and you have the right person, it's the right timing, it's the right medium. And some of these things can be predicted, some of them can't. But if you're hitting them from multiple angles consistently with that right message, you are going to get a response. You're not always going to get the same response from, it, from the same source. But here's the other part of why um, I'm bringing this back to that multi-channel approach to answer the question of, When's the right time to get out? Obviously, an economic portion. Obviously, if the performance is too bad over a period of time, might not be the right approach. All those things can happen. But something the biggest reason why you want to use multi-channel marketing is actually because it reinforces itself. So everyone knows the example of a billboard. Most people have driven past one. I've yet to meet a human being who, while in the car driving by the billboard, went, I should call them, pulled out their phone and dialed the number while in the car. <laughs> But I know a ton of people, and it's, it's happened to me personally. I've done it when they go, hey, I need a, sir, I need a, you know any good cleaners? First thing that pops in my head is that dumb billboard. First thing that pops in my head, oh, what's a, a lawyer? We just got into an accident or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's the branding. That's online ads. That's your mailing piece. And when that creates that repetition, that branding, those eight touches, whatever the next touch they get from you when now the need has been created, that's the one they're going to respond to. But they're far less likely to respond to it, whether it's an online ad, a call, an email, or a mailing piece. If they haven't received that consistent marketing because you're not familiar. Why do people go to a favorite restaurant? Do you know it's the best restaurant in town? Not necessarily. But I know I've been there 10 times and I had 10 good experiences. So guess what? I'm going back. Why? I haven't had a bad experience. Why would I go anywhere else? It's date night. I want this to go well. I'm taking them over to my favorite place because I know they do a good job. Because you have data. Right? You have data exactly. to prove it. Ten data points. Everything's positive. Likelihood exactly. of it going wrong, going um, south is like lower than if it's a brand new place I've never been to. Yeah. it's it's. Yeah. Everyone knows a term. It's confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing works with marketing. They didn't have to use you 10 times, but if they see you everywhere, you start you must be the best. Trust. 
perfect. Uh, you know, and, and even I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this all the way back, but this works for the the millennials and the non millennials. Tons of people, especially when smartphones first came out, they had an iPhone, and even with MP3 players, everyone had had a uh, an iTouch or they had an iPod. Even when you had other MP3 players, people go, oh, what kind of iPod is that? No, yeah. this was made by Creative. This was made by Micro. Yeah. Or you had one of these other better devices. Doesn't matter. That's an iPod. Why? Yeah. Branding. Yep. Because that's the saturated brand. When we send out direct mail for you and they're receiving you on a consistent basis and they're receiving you from other channels, you're now the face of property management. Even if they already have a property management company. Well, I don't see them in the area, but I see these guys all the time. Maybe these guys are better. So it's important before determining if it's not working to make sure you understand how anybody is finding you from any channel too. So, And that's something that I always emphasize with my my property management clients, if you guys are getting leads, there's not always going to be a super clean cut way to know from a tracking number or a landing page if a lead found you through that. A lot of times they might visit the URL and then go to your website later. So it, it's so important, like you said earlier, to have the follow-up plan and to make sure that when people are proceeding with the follow-up plan, asking, hey, did you, did you receive one of our postcards? have an intake form or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And to, to piggyback on that, I think a lot of times, um, you know, people in any industry have this misconception that, oh, you know, they found me online, that must be my website. But sometimes it took for them to see your billboard, hear you on the radio, uh, see your postcards before they actually thought to check out your website because, you know, you reinforced it enough to push them to make that action. And I think another piece is like, um, you need to have a clear call to action in any of your marketing, especially with direct mail. I get a lot of postcards in the mail that don't really tell me what to do. It's like, okay, nice Hey, we did a thing. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want me to do with that? Well, and then you go online if you do want to get Yeah, and then you go online and then it's like, they have this splash page that is not connected at all to what I saw in the mail. And I'm just like, okay, whatever, um, versus how, how much more powerful would it be if I got a piece of mail, like save 10% from your previous internet provider 10 times faster. Buy you out. One of the things that they did was oh. like, we'll buy you out of your contract or whatever. Oh, so it, it got, gets rid of that pain point of, yeah. oh, it's a hassle to switch. It's like every single um, pushback you could think of, they already answered in like three sentences, right? And then you go online and I'm pretty sure it took you to a page that said exactly. It had all of the same messaging, and that's consistency is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like the, it's the CTA for sure. But my point that I was even bringing up is like people might see your postcards and not go to that splash page. Exactly. They just Google your name. There. Yeah, they're going to go to Google. They're going to type in your name, and then they might they might watch some of your educational content. They might read some some of the pages you have on your website. Yeah, I do that with billboards because I don't have the time to take down the number or the URL. I see the logo and I'm a visual person. So when I get home, sometimes I'm like, huh, I'm curious what they really do because I didn't quite see the call to action and I just Google. And then I see, oh, that's what they do. That's pretty cool. Um, And I think that's with any type of marketing, right? You're browsing through your mail and you're like, oh, cool. And then if you make it really clear what it is that they can get out of working with you or just checking you out, I think that's super powerful. Absolutely. I mean, here's the reality. 
over 90% of consumers nowadays are going to look you up online before they're going to reach out to you. I didn't invent this, but I call it the rule of no. If I'm looking to buy something, when someone's trying to sell me something or trying to bring me over, that initial first impression process goes through what I like to call the rule of no. And what it really means is every person, every consumer has their own list of priorities. And I'm going to ask you questions, whether it's to your flyer, your website, or you personally of, do you have this? Do you have that? What is this? Why should I talk to you? Whatever your list of questions are, and the maximum level of interest from that first impression is dependent on the first no they hit. So when you think about it, if when you're giving that messaging and you're targeting those pain points that matter to someone who needs their property managed and you're highlighting this is what I do for you that no one else is going to do. This is why I stand aside and you know you're hitting the right person. That first no is going to come from, okay, well let's have a conversation so I can keep talking with you until I hit my first no. And sometimes that first no doesn't happen because they've already signed. Yeah. And that's really the opportunity you create for yourself by having the right messaging to the right person and having that consistency, even if you can't answer all their questions. A blank isn't a no. That's a let's learn more. Yeah. I that's like when that. they reach out to contact. I, I love that the rule of no you, you can say. steal it. Yeah. <laughs> you can steal it, definitely. <laughs> Um, trademark that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think. <laughs> I, I think a lot of times uh, you're absolutely right because as a consumer, we expect to have everything available, like answers to our questions. And even if the business is not saying no, if I just hit a wall, that's a no to me, right? It's like I can't find information about this, or you know, I'm. I, I want to just ask someone, but it's either I keep getting, you know, this automated receptionist type thing on their phone or Absolutely. I'm chatting and they're always offline, even during business hours. It's frustrating. It feels like a no. Um, and so I think, again, if you have that overarching plan, all, ask, all touch points, every possible touch point a prospect could ever have is like briefed about the plan, then you're just more likely to convert the business, right? Absolutely. I mean, here's the here's the the reality. And we've already kind of touched on this. Do you guys know what the single most consistent first no is? And this is across all of industry. Why should I talk to you? You can't answer that question. That's my first no. Why do I care? You guys can look it up. There's tons of studies and statistics on just how often people are marketed to every day. Think of it. Every commercial, every pop-up ad, every mailing piece, every billboard, your friends wearing a shirt from Nike. That's Nike advertised. Why they have a logo. So every time you see it, oh, that's a cool shirt. Oh, that's Nike. I should buy Nike. Those are the types of things. So you're subliminally advertised to on a nonstop basis. I'm sublim which, subliminally advertising right now. Exactly. <laughs> I see the cup. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Point proven. So the first, the very first no that you need to be able to address when you reach out is, well, why should you talk to me? And that's the call to action you were talking about of, I can do X for you. Want to learn more? I don't just do X, but it's a starting point. Here's a reason to talk to me. And it can be, you know, there's a ton of different ways to position it. I can do this. It can even be, hey, did you know that most people with an investment property get X less than they could have? 
or suffer from this, you know, whatever you use to address to make yourself look presentable, that's now you're answering that question of, well, why would I want to talk to you in the first place? And as soon as you address that, you've already expanded who you can have an opportunity to have a conversation with. Because that's the number one no you're going to hit with any type of marketing of, why do I care? What do you do for me? Moving on. True. And I think at the core of that is for you to answer that question of why should I care? Why should I talk to you? You have to first figure out what is it that makes you unique? Because if you say something that they have heard 10 million times, it's not going to matter to them. They're like, okay, well because you do property management, well, I don't care because I already have a property manager. But if you can meet with your team, spend some time away from the day-to-day and actually drill down to, okay, what is one thing we do, we claim that nobody else in our market can ever claim? And if that is the answer you give to a prospect, they're more likely to actually be interested because they've never heard it before. Yeah. Having a unique message helps. Um, Probably the only uh, follow-up to that I'll say is be honest. People respond to honesty. You don't have to come across as the greatest company in the history of all time. I think a lot of businesses claim that. We're not pro wrestlers. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to do that. But you can just say, look, we take care of our customers. Customer satisfaction is number one. We're trying to help you get the most out of your property, and that's our goal. It can be as simple as a message as that. Now, you can go over the top, especially if... You do go above and beyond, highlight the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're answering that question, and to bring it back to why we're here today, you're talking to the right people, mm-hmm. you have the opportunity for business. Why else are we here? Yeah. We want to do more business. Yeah. I did have one more question, more of a tactical question. Mm-hmm. So, because um, we keep talking about being consistent, following through giving your marketing enough time to actually show you anything because you know doing one postcard mailing is guaranteed like you know it's not really going to tell you whether it's working or not but uh, what would you say is a reasonable amount of time to wait to determine whether something is working for you or not because right it's like is it one day is it one month is it a year like just from your experience so great question um i think the most honest answer that is it kind of depends on scale so if you're marketing on a larger scale, you can have a shorter time for your minimum because you have a large enough sample. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, as we talked about, the success from us doing our job is are we delivering, but the success for you is am I getting business? Am I at least getting opportunities? If I'm marketing to 5,000 people or 1,800 or you know, whatever that larger group is, that's a bigger pool. So in a quarter, you know, three months, four months, if I hit every month, maybe even twice a month, you know, whatever the cadence I decide makes sense for my business and my budget, over that period of time, and I'm not at least, you know, doing my normal numbers. Because keep in mind, if we're using data, most of the time you're reducing your audience. So instead of marketing to 5,000, market to 1,800, if you did the same numbers, you get that savings from the 3,200 and your profits from the new people. That's a win. That's the value of data. If we hit 5,000, but we're now in two more areas because we're only hitting our target group, okay, again, do I do the same numbers? Do I do better numbers? You're going to at least be able to see some trends and some indicators after three, four months. 
because you have a large enough sample. The flip side of that is, if I'm looking at a smaller sample, I'm doing more budget-based marketing, I can afford to send 300, 500 pieces out at a time, you do need to give it more time because it's a smaller group of people. Now, that doesn't mean it can't hit just as quickly. You can get a great response off mailer one, but as we talked about, that's volatile. You don't have a big enough group to have that chance of getting those spikes early mm -hmm. as likely. So you really need closer to six months or towards a year on a smaller sample to know whether or not the data really works for you and is valuable. Now, that's from an accuracy standpoint, obviously you make the best decision for your business. If it's not working quick enough for you and it's impacting your budgets, you have to make the best decision for your business. I'm never gonna tell you not to do that. All I'll tell you is it's not gonna give you an accurate representation of how well the data is working for you. It's just a question of, is this the right time for me to be using data? Mm -hmm. And they're different questions. And so, you know, if, if we're looking at that from the accuracy and the success standpoint, sample size definitely is a big factor. Um, I'd say the shortest time, you know, is a quarter. You know, most marketing campaigns, you, you wanna do a quarterly campaign. Um, there's even things you can do that. I mean, quarters, they line up with seasons. Some markets are seasonal. There's a lot of variables that go in here, but just a general rule, you know, three, four, five months, that's plenty of time to at least get some, some indications. You know, that's, that's a good, you know, call it a pilot or, or a trial run to see if this is a good fit for you. Um, but if you're a smaller sample size, you really need to run at least six months to, to really know whether or not it's working for you. And, they have, and the, the flip side is also, as I mentioned before, keep in mind of all of the impact of what the data has. Because if you're doing the same numbers and you're not seeing an increase, you're going, I'm not doing more business. But are you spending the same? As we used the earlier example, if I took you from mailing 5,000 pieces to 1,800 and you did the same business, yeah, the data is absolutely doing it for you. Now, and when you say, say you're, you're sending out smaller batches, give it at least six months to really show you what it can do, how many mailers are you sending in six months? And that's, you know, that's the perfect question there, and that's really the, the, the question of, you know, if we identified a target group of 600 people, are we mailing to all 600? Are we mailing to the top 300? Are we mailing with you know specific filters? Because sometimes it's okay, well, let's just use this as an example. Um, with my business, I want to market to people who have a rent between X and Y. Or you know, single family, no condos, or, or, or whatever filters you have. And that's benefit, we're a data company. We can help you filter things to be specific. But then in the area you're marketing, what if 70% of the market happens to be condos. Well, maybe we need to take a better look at this market and go, maybe it's not the data, maybe it's the market we're looking at. If these are your golden people, maybe we need to shift where we're looking to give you a real opportunity there. Because if there's not enough people available that fit your criteria, even if that's where you wanna work, you might not get to work there, Yeah, if that makes sense. And that, that can be a big part of it too. Yeah, and if so say that all of the, um, Say you've honed down the list mm -hmm. in that time frame. Say you are going to send to three hundred people. Do you send one mailer a month, one mailer every two months? What's the most successful cadence? I would say, in our experience, um, one a month is a kind of a minimum. If you're not at least hitting them in a, in a month, you know, earlier I mentioned you know recency bias, and, and this doesn't really apply to that, but it's kind of connected concept. You know, people have short term memory. You know. 
If I ask you, where'd you go for dinner four Fridays ago? At best, you're going to check your calendar and tell me. The vast majority of people aren't going to have a clue. Unless you have some recurring, well, every Friday I go here. Right, so, yeah. Like, those people. But for the vast majority, I was like, I don't know. Why are you asking? And you're going to ask me that because you don't have a clue. You're trying to, you're trying to remember it. So it's going to be the same thing with your marketing. If every two months they see you, you know what you have? You have a first impression every two months because they've already forgotten you. At least once a month is best. Again, if we're doing multi-channel, it's one postcards, it's a few ads, it's maybe an email, it's maybe a call, and all that happens within a month, each month, and that's when you build that groundswell on that brand. Again, coming back to you, that's why that's the most recommended. But if you're just doing the direct mail once a month as a minimum, I would say twice a month should probably be your maximum though. Because as much as not contacting them enough is a risk, contacting them too much is also a risk. We all have that one friend or sometimes it's a relative (laughs) who will text you, call you, Facebook message you, just blow you up at every possible opportunity to the point where there's that little mute button and you're just staring at it going, I could just never hear from you. Right. Then you just start ignoring the message altogether. Exactly. They become white noise and it's like, another crisis. Everything with you is a crisis. Yeah. And you tune them out. Consumers do the same thing. If I see, we do it all on TV. If I see the same ad over and over, if I think it's a cute, funny ad, I might watch it a few times. But even with that one, eventually mute and wait for my show to come back on. Yeah. yeah. So you never want to oversaturate what message you're sending them, at least from the same medium. Because if I see you from multiple places, oh, okay, you're just everywhere. If I get five postcards from you, it's like, this you, is excessive. Wow, you really hate trees. <laughs> That's yes. going to come into my head because now I'm getting yeah. snarky because I'm going, how much mail are you going to send me? Yeah. And so that's, it's, it's all about that balance of, you know, for direct mail, I'd never say more than twice a month or at least not more than twice a month with the same message. Yeah. You can send different pieces at a higher yeah. frequency, but don't send the same thing over and over and just blast them with it and expect a better response. Odds are you're going to get a worse one. Um, and that's, you know, again, talking about response rates and the history of direct mail that's been something that's been a lot of people in the past, too, is people told you, well, just hit them as much as you can, the most you can out there. Well, not if you don't put some variance in there. Yeah. It's not going to go over well. Always ask yourself the question, if I was the consumer, how would I react to what I'm doing to them? Because whether you're a homeowner, whether you're a renter, wherever you are personally, you can all relate to, if someone marketed me in this way, how am I going to react? Most of the time, that's how other people are going to react. You think of, well, I get marketing nonstop. I see this thing everywhere. Okay, but do they send you the same thing from the same way all the time, five times a month? No. You should probably do what they're doing. Yeah. You know, oh, hey, my local grocery store spends, you know, $20 million a year in marketing, you know, across their region. Okay. Maybe I should should check some of the things they're doing to have success with because they're probably not going to light money on fire for no reason. Same concepts. Um, So, you know, that just, again, at a a higher level, sometimes the simple answer is actually the right answer. Sometimes there's not some big mystery and we need a huge, massive study to figure out of, actually, no, that just annoys people. End of study. Um, Or if you never contact them, they forget who you are. End of study. I think extremes, right? Exactly. Um, that's what you want to avoid. And I think um, 
a way to summarize that whole section of you know the information you shared is you know you shouldn't in this day and age with all the tools available to you you should not work harder you should work smarter because in the golden days of digital um of not digital but of like direct mail when it was first just breaking ground everyone just thought just blast them right but now it actually can have negative effects and so just be smarter about it in general (laughs) um and so just to summarize sort of the things that we had touched today so um I wrote down in my notebook. So data helps you target the right owners, right? Because at the yep. at the core of it, if you're not targeting the right people, then you're just wasting your money because you don't really know if they're even eligible to work yeah. with you. I'm selling you know beef products, yeah, and I've got 50 vegans on my list. Exactly, they're Which not happens. gonna buy. I get weird ads too. Yeah, my <laughs> best friend's vegetarian, and she always gets ads in the mail for meat yeah, they're wasting money. yeah i keep getting ads about cat stuff they think i have a cat i have no i like cats but you i don't probably watch a, a lot of cat videos i do <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah again they they're don't adorable i just don't like paying but for so them. targeting exactly. targeting is Absolutely. number one and if yeah. you're doing i guess one piece of advice on that the target aspect is if you're doing direct mail already on your own take a look at the list you're targeting Absolutely. and and see if it could be better and if you're not doing it yet but considering doing it make that an important factor in the decision that you make yeah um and then the second thing was you know that it's a commitment right you can't just say hey i'm gonna try this out i'll just do one postcard and like wait and see and pray um again consistently consistency matters and because it's a commitment you can't just like say oh it looks good enough just send it like it has to be um engaging message there has to be a call to action that makes sense and every piece of the puzzle, they all have to form, you know, a, a picture, a cohesive picture. So Absolutely. if I see this piece of mail that talks about A, when I go and Google you, you're not claiming why. And they, they don't clash. They should at least complement yeah. each other. Reinfor- reinforce yeah. the message. Yeah, Absolutely. reinforce the message. And then have a plan and follow yeah. through. Like, very 100%. important. Um, you can't just, you know, fly blind because who has time for that anymore? You can. <laughs> It's not going to work out very yeah. well for you, but <laughs> knock yourself out. Yeah. But I really don't. Not, I don't, don't do it. Yeah, yeah don't do, do not that. Do, do not do you it. You can do it. That was sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> um, let us help you. Um, and then, you know, consider going multi-channel. So, you know, in this day and age, um, people may see one aspect of your marketing, but if you're consistently, um, you know, touching um, them in multiple areas, like if they go on Facebook, they see you. If you know um, they go on your website, you know it looks professional. It makes sense. The things you're saying there, it's consistent to what they've read already about you. Your reputation looks right. good. It's not like you're claiming we are the highest rated property manager, and then they just quick Google you, and it's like one star. Yeah, it's like okay, they're sneaky. Like, that actually hurts you more. Like, highest rated, guys, it's not golf. Low, low scores aren't good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, and then I think, um, like, the last thing I wrote, noted here was you have to give marketing time yeah, to absolutely. give you an idea whether it's working or not. And as you mentioned, right, it also is relative to your sample size. So if you have a pool of, like, a hundred people, you know, you ha- you need longer um, amounts of time to figure out if there are 
trends, if there are patterns, if there's any engagement versus if you have all the money to spare, you can buy 10,000 targets right now, then obviously your sample size sample size can compensate for the time it takes, exactly. right? Exactly. You have a, yeah. a decent chance of getting enough ROI initially from a larger sample to make it so that it makes sense for my business to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, smaller sample, you generally need more time. Awesome. So do you have any like last piece uh, pieces of advice for anyone or any property manager out there thinking of getting into like direct mail marketing? So two pieces. Uh, one, um, you know, obviously we're here, we're on the, uh, the, the four and a half podcast and talk to the experts. These guys are the experts. If you're working with them, keep doing so. Take advantage of all the tools and opportunities there for you. If you're not, reach out and at least get some information. And that's really the segue into our side of things because that's what we're doing. At the end of the day, all a data company does, we give you the right information. Now, we also are a vendor. We can automate the delivery process. There's a lot of convenience there, but at the end of the day, what's really valuable here is we have the data to help you target the right people. Information is money for your business. That's just the reality. And so make sure you're working with the experts. The experts are working with us to make sure that you have the best opportunity possible. If you don't know who you're marketing to, are you marketing to the right people, are you having the right plan, you reach out and find out. Information of the am I doing the right things variety doesn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. And then you, get, then you can start making business decisions on, is this the right opportunity for me? So that's really the, the last thing I would leave that with is, you know, four and a half are the experts on property management. SmartZip are the experts on data. We're working together to make you the best in your area. Give us a chance to help you or at least find out if it's the right fit. That's great advice. Well said. Yeah, well said. Thank you so much for, you know, coming down to our office to be a guest at our podcast, for sharing your expertise about data-driven marketing. Um, To our listeners, thank you for, you know, tuning in. Um, As usual, if you have any ideas on next topics, if you want to see a particular guest or um, hear about a particular topic, just, you know, hit us up at four and a half. Or if you have other questions about this topic, let us know. Again, thanks for listening. Have a great day. See ya.